0: Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowd's Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and on day four of Beijing 2022, I'm joined by Dan. So how are you tonight?
1: I'm well, Jackie. It's good to be back in the chair after giving it out to a few other people over the last few days.
0: Yeah, I think that everyone's having a good time with the Winter Olympics. It's probably a good thing because we only get it once every four years. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's it's great to have, you know, back-to-back Olympics six months apart. We had plenty of success, but uh, today wasn't really an Aussie day for success, but um, there were Aussies involved, weren't there, in the cross-country skiing?
0: Yeah, so there was Aussies involved, six of them, I counted them. Um, it wasn't the best day, though. Ultimately, we're not a powerhouse in cross-country skiing, so I don't think that it was, like, a bad day, especially for some of them because we had some skiers making some debuts but we'll start with the women's event. And we had Casey Wright and Jessie Eaton competing. Uh, After qualifying, Casey ended up finishing 65th. Now, what is the issue with the cross country skiing today is that it was the sprint event. So you'll be like 65th with a time of three minutes and 39 seconds, 0.22 of a second. Doesn't sound like that she took too long or that sort of thing when they were skiing. I think it was 1.5 kilometers. It was less than a mile. I know that much. And then Jess Yeaton was 52nd with a time of 3 minutes and 32 seconds, 0.85. But when the leader of the qualifier, which was Sweden's Johanna Sundling, uh, ended up finishing with a time of 3 minutes and 9 seconds, 0.03, so it's a little hard to scrape into that top 30 I mean, <laughs> um
1: they were close it's amazing to see how closely bunched they are sort of in that 50 and 60 this was what seven seconds between 65th and 57th so you know it's basically a second at place but there is a uh, massive leap up into the top 30 from there
0: yeah, well, and I think also there is a massive leap between first and second because Rosie Brennan from the United States was the one that finished second in qualifying and her time was 3 minutes and 14 seconds, 0.83. Well, let's and
1: just give away the gold medal now then. Let's, <laughs> let's just be done with it.
0: And so they like have interval timers for this race specifically. They only have one at the 600 metre mark and the difference in times, crazy. So obviously we had Johanna... And she had a one minute 29.6 uh, at the interval and then the next closest to her at the interval was one minute 32 seconds point eight. there were two other skiers that were inside five seconds of her and then the rest of the field at the 600 meter mark was over five seconds behind her so She had her jets on um, and then some, it seems like.
1: I mean, I'd say that's the length of the ski, but it's about 10 or 12 lengths of the ski at that speed.
0: Yeah, they're so quick. Um, But then there was also the men's free ski and there is finals on tonight, but it's happening while we're recording, so we're not going to be able to get to them. And And we had four Aussies competing. So we'll start with the last place Aussie, which was Severo Campo. He finished in 63rd, had a time of 3 minutes and 4.81 seconds. Then we had Hugo Hinkfuss in 61st. He had 3 minutes, uh, 4.44 seconds. Uh, Lars young Vic ended up with 3 minutes and 2.52 seconds to finish in 55th. And good old Philip Bellingham, our three-time Olympian, he finished in 50th. He had a 301.57. So in a field of 88 competitors, I reckon everyone making the top 70 and Phil making the top 50, pretty impressive when we are not, uh, we're not a skiing nation.
1: Wait, we're not a cross-country skiing powerhouse? I I must have missed that memo, but they are also incredibly bunch. But what does strike me is the difference in speed between the average man and the best women there. I mean, that's a massive gap, uh, which is obviously a lot to do with strength in the legs and height, both of which, you know, biological features you can't really control. Um, But no matter how fast they go, they all seem to bunch up around that 50, 60 mark. Um, They're all very close together there.
0: Yeah. And then the leader after the qualification round was Lucas Chan uh, and he had a two minutes and 45.03 second finish. Uh, he was a second ahead of his nearest qualifier. So not quite the gap that the women had, but still at the same time, like that's a pretty impressive finish when you are skiing slightly less than a mile, but still a long way to ski in such a short time.
1: It's a long way to ski if you're going downhill, let alone, you know, cross-country skiers who don't have that luxury.
0: Yeah, I think that it was like a 59-metre incline total over the race. So, like...
1: We'll talk about that and then we'll compare it to the the downhill and the Super G that we've got later on coming in. You know, (laughs) to to go just over a mile, you know, just under a mile is a very different time there.
0: (laughs) I mean, those are breakneck speeds, to be fair. But we'll save them for a little bit later. I thought we'd go with um, the young lady who has won her first of potentially three Olympic gold medals at Beijing 2022, and that is Eileen Gu in the Free Ski Big Air event today. Um, I, it, it's hard to put into words how good she was on that final jump because she was sitting in third and her final jump rocketed her into first.
1: I mean, it was, it was on the same level as Zoe Sadowski-Sanat earlier in the week with that clutch, last-minute jump that as soon as she hit the snow, and in Eileen Gooh's case, she was facing back up the hill when she hit the snow, you knew straight away that that was a jump that was putting her into the gold medal position. There was no question that that was insanity. It's a sixteen twenty cork, if I'm not mistaken and that's yeah
0: it's a lot of rotations that's for sure
1: four and a half rotations five rotations
0: it'd be close to five maybe four and a half i'm i'm okay at math but i'm not that good at quick math
1: (laughs) but i mean to to be doing something like that in is incredible and then you consider the fact that one she's dealing with the pressure of competing for china there's 1.4 billion people who are Expecting her to do it, and she's coming with the expectation that she will win gold because she's been in that kind of form. So, you've got that, and then you add on top of that the fact that because it was her last run, she had to land it to have a chance at gold. There's added pressure, and for an 18 year old to step through that and really just look like she was having fun at the park really is the only way to describe how she jumped.
0: Yeah, and, like, she's also had a lot of media pressure even outside of the Chinese media because there's been some not-so-kind articles about her that, like, just seem unnecessarily mean <laughs> in a lot of ways. So I think being able to block out what the US media in particular is doing um, is also a testament to how good she is. And then she's still got the Slope Style and half pipe events and it's just, like... I can imagine that she's going to get a very well-deserved rest and also some very good paychecks because the sponsorships are going to roll in after this.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, for a an American-speaking, American-based athlete who looks the way Eileen does, you know, she's clean cut, she's, you know, super friendly. I could imagine her on all of the billboards, um, who is as accomplished as she is and as cool under pressure, It does beg a bit of a question of what can't she do? Because it's not snowboarding. We know she can do that too.
0: (laughs) I think there's a little bit of Naomi Osaka about her in the way that everyone's fallen in love with her because she's just incredible. And then you're like, she's going to get the big bucks (laughs) because of how good she is.
1: Yeah, she's definitely up there.
0: Um, but you teased the Super G a little bit before. The men's Super G in the Alpine Skiing was today. And Matthias Meyer from Austria ended up being the big winner. Finished ahead of the United States as Ryan Cochran Ziegler. Um, and not like by all that much. It was 0.04 seconds time difference.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Cochran Ziegler <laughs> gave it his absolute all and so did Maya, and in the end, it came down to less than a blink of an eye. I mean, that is as causing it to, to race the entire length of the Super G, and to be that close that you know there is literally you know almost nothing between you. You really, I really feel for Cochrane Ziegler to be in that situation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I also feel for Norway as Adrian suggested. Uh, because he ended up just missing out on the podium with a time of one twenty point six eight. Uh, his compatriot Alexander Kildare was the one that ended up getting the bronze medal, and it was one twenty point three six. So zero point three two seconds instead this time. But like, it's still when it's less than a second, you're like,
1: <sighs> I mean, it's it's less than a second, but it's also, I mean, by comparison, it's miles. I mean, yeah. at these speeds, that's a a fairly big gap, actually. You know, 0.32 of a second is a, a good chunk of distance. And when you've also got the comparison of 0.04 between first and second, it's really hard to say that this was close because it's eight times the gap of well- one and two.
0: Well, and so if you look at like the difference between the finishes, because there is a lot of DNFs in the Super G event. Uh, First is 1 minute 19. And then 34th, that's the last place finisher, was 1 minute and 29 seconds. There's only 10 seconds between all of those people.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty close. Pretty close cut. And obviously, you know, the Super G is one of those really tough events. You, You miss one gate or one little bobble and you can end up with a DNF. Um, so it is one of those events that we do see kind of a higher rate of missing out but you know credit to to Meyer and to Cochrane Ziegler who who were right there at the end and it's hard to feel sorry for someone with an Olympic silver medal um, because that's still more Olympic medals than I'm looking at but uh, (laughs) it's also you know pretty hard done by to be that close to gold.
0: Yeah, and I thought we'd stay on the Alpine-style events, but it's actually a snowboarding event. Uh, the Parallel Giant Slalom, both for the men and the women's women today, and someone that we've talked about before on this show, Esther Ledecker, claimed Olympic gold this year. Um, pretty impressive result. So she ended up winning, and whilst you can be like, oh, Daniela Ulbing didn't actually finish because she missed a gate, she was still flying down that hill like I don't think that Ledeca was actually getting beaten today regardless
1: yeah I mean Ledeca know, yeah. I know technically she was boarding and falling but um yeah flying is probably the right word um I wouldn't have been surprised if there was a little trail of melted snow behind her from where she went <laughs> given how fast she was moving
0: And Slovenia's Gloria Kotnik ended up winning the bronze medal. And in the battle for bronze, which is the small final, there was another DNF and that was the Netherlands, Michelle Decker. She also had a really great race, but then just barreled through a gate. (laughs) And it's that's at that point, it's all over. Like you've got no chance, but then you've got the men's event where Benjamin Carl ended up winning and this time at least, and this is the only one of the para, uh, the snowboard parallel giant slaloms that didn't have a DNF in it, uh, he finished 0.82 seconds ahead of Tim Masnak and it was more because of an error um, and quite a big error that like it resulted in there being that time gap but the fact that um Masnack actually finished <laughs> which you can't say about anyone else that was in a final that didn't take home a medal. Um, pretty solid effort.
1: You know, it's, it's one thing to, to make an error in a clutch final. It's another to to make an error that takes you out of a chance of winning a gold medal, let alone actually winning the gold um, has got to be really tough, but I think he'll bounce back and, you know, it was a hell of a competition and, and to be the only minor medalist in a final who, who did make it down the course is still impressive and to, to keep himself together after that error was, was a big deal
0: yeah and i think also like it's about what error came first uh, and what error came second because benjamin carl did also make an error um a little bit earlier and i think that there was a little bit of and it comes down to carl's experience of max Mac maybe thinking he had it in the bag a little bit and then just over pulling one of the turns Um, whereas Carl ended up having a fantastic finish and just carrying over that line, looking a lot cleaner than he had at the midpoint of the race.
1: At the end of the day, the points are, uh, and the medals are given for the end of the race, not, not the middle or the midpoint. So, you know, he did make it down at the end, so we give him all the credit for that.
0: Yeah, and I thought we might talk about the hockey because the Group A and Group B have decided who their winners are going to be in the women's.
1: Um, Okay, we'll talk women's first.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, the men's hasn't started yet, so it's okay. Uh, So I thought we'd go with the United States versus Canada because that is, it's the preview to the gold medal match, let's be real.
1: Well, it'll be the preview to the gold medal match if they make it through the rest of the competition unscathed (laughs) because if they meet again in the meantime, they might not given the fact that there were 12 minutes of penalties handed out in this match.
0: Well, no, there were 12 minutes of penalties handed out to Canada in this match. Oh, did I misread <laughs> were... that? It's 12 yeah.
1: minutes of... oh my goodness.
0: So Canada got 12 minutes worth of penalties. The United States had two minutes worth of penalties that they were handed out. But because Canada scored very quickly in those penalty times... Um, the United States actually only had to deal with 36 seconds of power play to the Canada's 11 minutes and 47 seconds of power play.
1: 11 minutes and 47 seconds. So, like, oh my
0: God. It, it's really a credit to Canada that they spent a sixth of the match playing at least one player down and they still won 2-4.
1: 11 minutes of penalties. Oh, God. It's, yeah. At that point, it's... I mean, you can tell us we can't keep it together, but it's almost a joke when you're spending that much of the match one or more players down. And I have to say, I am amazed that the US managed to avoid picking up more penalty minutes because you'd think that that's something that would normally be relatively even.
0: Yeah, or at least it would translate a little bit more just of like players getting frustrated kind of thing of like having to put up with the Canadians just being really aggressive. But I think that the testament really goes to Canada's goalkeeper in this match. Emirates Mashmire and Anne Rene Desvins between them saved 51 shots on goal. That's what they were
1: one a minute almost.
0: A little bit more, even, I think. Um, So the United States have 53 shots on goal total, Uh, scored two goals, obviously. And you compare that to Canada, who had 27 shots on goal. There were 23 saves by the United States goalkeepers, but they scored four goals. (laughs) And then they were also a player down for like almost an entire period of the match.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just... No part of this game makes any sense. No part of this match, you know, is anything you can really take away other than that this is unusual circumstances and goalkeepers are in great form and everyone else is fairly well-rested heading into the rest of the matches (laughs) because...
0: I think that my takeaway, at least, is Canada good, USA pretty good, but not as good as Canada.
1: <laughs> I can't believe you let me get away with well rested with the straight face there.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like, I need to, I need to move past it.
1: <laughs> well, hey, I, hopefully you're not moving past hockey because no. we did have another thriller um, going on, and, and this one was a little bit different. Um, as I understand, there were less than twelve minutes of penalties in this one. But it was a heart stopper between Japan and the Czech Republic to decide group B.
0: So there weren't less than 12 minutes worth of penalties. <laughs> it, was a, it was a little bit more even. So um, the Czech Republic caught 10 minutes worth of penalties. Meanwhile, Japan caught six minutes worth of penalties. You
1: know so um, I'm, I'm giving up on it. I can't, act- I can't.
0: Actually, a slightly more penalized games somehow
1: you can finish the hockey segment by yourself and i'll get <laughs> back for curling if you're just kidding
0: japan ended up winning three two but the scoreline's a little bit deceptive because it was actually two all at the end of regular play they went into overtime and it was nil all so it went to a penalty shootout and hockey penalty shootouts if you watch the summer olympics are a lot like the field hockey penalty shootouts Um, In that they get to attack the goalkeeper rather than, you know, soccer style where they stand on a spot. And there was of the five shots, only one goal scored and that was by Japan. And that gave them the win. They scored, I think it was on their second attempt. And it is really a testament to Japan's keeper that she managed to block every single shot. Her stick work was incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not giving enough credit to all the hockey goalkeepers who are out there today because there were some brilliant performances.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, But we're going to move to the curling because Sweden did to Great Britain what Italy did to them last night. (laughs) Um, It was a tough result for Great Britain, especially in the bronze medal match. I believe that they were the only remaining medal winners from 2018 left in the competition. uh, And they ended up going down 9-3. And it was, I think, 8-0 after four ends, but it might have been 8-0 at three ends. Even it was rough.
1: If you start like that, as the Australians can tell you after our experience, if you start like that, it makes it very hard to come back. I mean, you have to be stealing ends against the hammer, against the power play. And it's tough to string together, especially when the other side does kind of get on top and they start to get a bit comfortable. So it's not surprising that it went from 8-0 to um, 9-3. It is disappointing for Great Britain, who definitely had high hopes of a a medal and probably a gold one, to be honest,
0: yeah, so Great Britain ended up uh conceding after six ends as a result. They only won two ends, one of which was their power play end where they got one point, uh where they got two points, and then their extra end after that, where they managed to get a steal where they won one point. So pretty big deal that <laughs> Sweden won by that much in a medal match, especially after. They got touched up by Italy last night. That's the polite way to put it. And I, the Italians have not played yet, but I am presuming that in the morning that you would be hearing Italy beats Norway, I don't know, probably like 7-4. I'll be kinder to Norway than the other countries because they've also looked really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Italy look superb out there on the sheets and I wouldn't be shocked if that's exactly what we find out. You know, something... That, that says we beat you. We could afford to take our foot off the gas a little bit and we still won pretty comfortably. Um, but, you know, you and I have been wrong before on this, so there's every chance that this t- tomorrow night when I'm sitting here I'll be retracting whatever I've just said or pretending it never happened.
0: <laughs> Editing Jackie here. So really, really close <laughs> with my 7-4 prediction. Turned out it was 8-5, Italy won. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. They ended up going 11-0 for the whole tournament. <laughs> On this podcast, we famously pretend when we're wrong it didn't happen, and then well, we skite about being correct. And I believe on Thursday you could be skiting.
1: Well, let's get on to that because it is time for me to be right. Um, it is that time of the evening, and um, last week I made a very, very brave prediction. Um, I went out on all of the limbs and said that Yuma Kagiyama was a serious threat to win the gold medal of the figure skating in the men's singles, which of course is, you know, a massive leap of courage to say that. And uh, I think it's fair to say that I'm not looking that bad so far, Jackie, am I?
0: No, I'll, I'll admit. And even last night we were like, we weren't being fair to Yuma when we were saying that it was going to be Chen, hanyu uh, and Uno as the podium in some sort of order. We were like, Yuma's going to at least be in that top four. It's just that we're going to give them like experienced skaters the, uh, Their run of it but he had an incredible skate today um definitely the cleanest of the Japanese men he's got 108.12 is in second after the short program and considering at youth olympic games he um jumped so hard on his combo that he crashed into the barrier and his words were something to the effect of I just got too excited and went too fast and then suddenly I hit the barrier Kind of thing um, for your Olympic debut, your second go at it because you did compete in the team event. Um, it's pretty incredible. And when he got his score, he held out. He, he's like whacked his arms out and almost hit his father, who is his coach, in the face. Yeah. I mean...
1: <laughs> I think if I was him, I'd be spending a little bit more time with my hands in my pockets when my scores come out because I feel like the coach would have you doing skating laps if you hit him in the face like that and your dinner's probably also going to be cold. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but he's also his dad. And his dad is a former Olympian as well. He competed in the 90s at the Olympics.
1: But I, but... I do think that team skate will make a big difference because we talked about how excited he got at the Youth Olympics. Having had that chance to compete, in the team event has probably taken off the edge a little bit because, I mean, you and I have never experienced competing at the Olympics, but I imagine it's nerve-wracking. I mean, that would just make sense.
0: I get nervous watching the skating. <laughs> <laughs> I have an emotional investment, so I'm different to the average person, but, like, I get nervous watching them. I sat with my hands in front of my face the entire time Shoma Uno and Yuzuru you were skating, and they were back-to-back, so...
1: That, that was me with uh, Chakara and the Moguls a couple of nights ago, so <laughs> That's I know bad. how that feels. But it wasn't but, just humour that uh stunned today nathan chen um probably doesn't need much more said other than um
0: nathan world chen. record
1: chen. nathan chen
0: nathan chen world record in the short program um the first time someone that other than yuzuru hanyu has held this world record in like at yes. least since the new system started um and even Prior to the new judging system starting, so he scored at 113.97, performed the most difficult short program content, wise uh, like technical content-wise that has ever been performed in an Olympic game. So he had a triple lutz, triple toe loop, a triple flip, and his triple axel. His worst element is his triple axel, and even then, that looked pretty good compared to you know 2018, where he fell twice in his program.
1: <laughs> that that um, does tend to help if you keep upright. You know that that is a noted skill i understand in figure skating
0: (laughs) yeah so he also did win the personal component scores that i think a lot of people will be less inclined to agree with because jason brown's cinnamon program was phenomenal and whilst you can say oh yuzuru hanu's component scores do take a hit because of that quad sal um miss because he ended up singling it I don't think Nathan Chen should have won the uh, score as far as the PCS are concerned. But we might also just talk about Yuzuru Hanyu because other than singling the quad south out, which was because there was like a big divot in the ice, like what it's termed as a hole, he just yeah. like hit that hole a little bit weird and, and it couldn't was just due to the job. There
1: was no vertical at all when he took off for that quad south.
0: Yeah. But other than the quad sal, the rest of the program was amazing.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was definitely a warning shot to everyone, you know. If the only thing stopping you from taking out that program and taking out that, you know, short program is a small hole in the ice, watch out for the final. Because yeah. I would not like to be another skater trying to rely on that to keep you Hanyu out of gold.
0: So... I'll just say, we found out what the planned content is for Han Yu's Free Skate. It's insane. Like, he's planning, I think, four quads. I was um, going to say,
1: is it four quads or five quads that he was talking about? Dude?
0: I believe it's four because by the sounds of it, he is going to dump the quad loop. So, unfortunately, I stitched back up the other night because I told it to tell everyone that all the <laughs> Japanese men were doing a quad loop and apparently Yuzu isn't. But he's doing... He's going to attempt the quad axle. If he lands it, he will be the first ever skater to have landed a quad axle in competition. Um, he was not landing it in training, but that's uh, another discussion. If you landed in competition, who cares whether you landed in training? Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> He'll be going for a quad gal two quad toe loops, one in combination, two triple axles. One of those is going to be a triple axle, triple loop. So typically when people do triple axle combos, it'll either be a triple axle and then a triple or a triple flip, or they'll do a triple axle, triple toe. Triple axle and then a triple loop where you are jumping off the same blade on the edge of the blade that you landed on on your axle. Like it's incredibly hard to do. Um, Like X loop combos are just madness. And when they're done well, they look really good. So if he lands that triple axle, triple loop, I'll be pretty blown away. And it's going to be some... uh, extra sparkle points almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, as much as we, we're going to talk about the the guys who are right at the top, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our boy Brendan, wouldn't we?
0: <laughs> yeah, Australia's favourite flag bearer that's a figure skater, aka our only opening ceremony flag bearer that is a figure skater. Um, he had a really good program. It wasn't his season's best, but it was pretty close to it. His season's best was at the competition that counted the most as far as getting to the Olympics is concerned, because that was Neville Horn all the way back in October. And he's been dealing with some injuries, but he got an 84.79. He only really had an issue with his quad toe loop. It was just like a turned out landing, which means that like you over rotate almost. Um, so your landing edge is a little bit funky, but it was a great, his program leaves the light on is really good. Um, and it's one of those things where it's been like for years, people have been like, Oh, uh, if Brendan just gets it together, like he's going to be um in it, like with some of the best. And like the people that are around him um, are Dennis Vasilievs, who is the European bronze medalist, but also Mark Kondriatic is only two points ahead of him as well. He's the European champion. And also, right now, an Olympic gold medalist in the team event. So he's got some company around those that'll be in the same group as him on Thursday.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brendan just has this knack of pulling it together when he needs to and i know it is the cliche but um it seems like he's almost gone back to a little bit of what kind of makes him a bit special you know leave the light on you know it's an australian tune um and he's trying to kind of bring it together and really really highlight that that makes him special and it does seem to work for the judges i mean he keeps pulling out the scores that put him in the right company keeps him in contention for the competition so hopefully you know one more little flavor in the free skate and um you know is it is it crazy to think that he's in with a shot?
0: It's crazy to think that he's in a shot with a medal chance. Is For it crazy final? to say he's he's in the free skate? So he is in the final yeah. um already. He finished inside the top 24. Is it crazy to think that he could make it into the top 10? Yes, but also <laughs> but, <laughs> but,
1: but no. also
0: but also men's figure skating will be men's figure skating and people make some really just you'll be like, oh my god, they skated amazing. They did so well in their short program. And then they get like a 130 in their free skating. You're like, what what happened? So,
1: <laughs> so we've had we've had Brendan's program for the free skate confirmed, haven't we?
0: I don't know his technical content for this Olympics, but if it is what it was supposed to be at four continents, he should be doing at least two quads, perhaps three. He'll definitely be doing at least one quad toe and one quad sal.
1: I was going to ask you if it's been confirmed. Is that what he says is confirmed? Or is he actually confirmed (laughs) that after what happened at four continents?
0: (laughs) I mean, I, I'll give Brendan so much credit just for like how smart he is as a skater. He did not actually make a mistake as far as like invalidating an element or having a fall. So he played the smart like <laughs> play it for continents. And if he does that again, um, rest in peace Belinda Noonan, because it's going to be really hard to call because she had like the commentators actually have the planned technical content. And when they deviate, it is a little bit confusing for those commentators. But I think we'd also be a little bit uh, remiss to not talk about the third place skater, which was Shoma Uno, um, because he also had a great program. Although, (laughs) even he was a little bit confused by his score. So he got an 105.90. That's a new season's best, beats his season's best he got in the team event um but the funny thing with that is is he had a hand down on his combo which was a quad toe loop triple toe that is what he and his coaching team has been working towards this season is making sure that that combo is a triple at the end and not a double um and so we got like a lot of zeros and minus ones and then two plus ones which you should not be getting positive goe scores if you have a hand down on your jump like
1: that kind of thing that i mean I'm, i'm not any kind of figure skating judge, but it struck me as a little bit odd to be getting positive scores on that one.
0: Yeah. So it ended up being like a minus 0.14 when you like combined all of the scores together because it works on percentages. Um, yeah. Like I, I'm i not going to be like, oh, he deserved to get like an 101 based on like how that one handout. That wouldn't have affected the score that much. But at the same time, it's just like, Probably shouldn't have been a season's best when the program in the short of in the team event was just like that little bit better, considering there wasn't that technical mistake. But he also does have his coach back with him now, so it's there should be when fewer mistakes. You say
1: men's figure skating gone to men's figure skating. <laughs> yeah,
0: it just do be. Um, and I'll add my last gripe with the judges. Um, Jun Huan Cha should have gotten an 100, <laughs> he got a 99.51. This so is like, like me so petitioning
1: for a, a distinction when I was close. Like, <laughs> this is what we're going here. You're, you're just petitioning at this point because yeah, it no, I, should
0: I, be. I, it's one of those things where I'm just like, what more does he need to do for the judges to just get him that 0.49 points? Because
1: Apparently a little bit, about 0.49 points worth of more.
0: I just i think that he would earned that today like it was <laughs> it was a better program than his four continents program so he obviously got a better score than that it I'm was like, give him that 100 please he deserves it the 100 point barrier is significant in men's figure skating not many people do it today only three people did it because jun is in force <laughs> um <laughs> but it's going to be an interesting uh, free skate that's for sure user hanyu will not be in the final group so he's gonna have to wait uh Seven other skaters before finding out whether he has done the three feet, (laughs) and because Nathan, I
1: hate that. Yeah,
0: I mean, he's a pretty good sport, and he was very relaxed about what happened. It was just like, sometimes this happens, it was unfortunate, unlucky, that sort of thing.
1: I do wonder if he posts a massive score, whether we see someone pull a Brendan Carey and just tweak something a little bit to try and pick up a couple of extra points in their free skate knowing what they have to be
0: so what i think could end up happening and this is in particular with hanyu is that he might change that planned program content after today to bring the quad loop back in i don't know what goes out probably the single uh, the solo triple flip jump But that's what I could see happening. And then I think that we could see something special from someone like Jason Brown. Maybe he's going to bring in that quad sal. I don't think it gives him a medal chance, but like he doesn't do quad jumps. And if he attempts one and lands one, it's going to look amazing. But also like, what's Nathan Chen going to do? If Yuzuru pulls out a massive score, is he going to do two quad lutzes instead of two quad toe loops?
1: If Yuzuru lands the quad axle, do we see anyone beating him? Like, does it it matter that the seven skaters after that, do they just pack it in?
0: I think that it's hard just because there is an 18-point gap between him and Nathan Chen. So I think that that makes it really difficult. So he has to land that quad axle and borderline go clean otherwise and then hope for, like, an error from Nathan Chen. It doesn't need to be a huge error, but it's going to be need to be some sort of an error. But I also I don't think that Yumikagiyama and Shoma Uno are out of the hunt. Their jumps are looking better and better. And Shoma's spins have looked incredible for the past week.
1: I my money is still on Yumikagiyama. And if he wins, I will be back on Thursday to brag about calling this a week early.
0: Yes. And I will give it to you because it was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty impressive call. I wasn't like it's not going to happen, but I was also just like of the four of them that like are realistic chances, maybe not. And then also like we did see, we talked about this last time, but Vincent Joe did end up not competing because he tested positive for COVID. Um, he put a quite heartfelt message out on Instagram about a half an hour after I finished editing the podcast. So that was kind of annoying for me. I was like, oh, we missed it for that much. But yeah, I think that that's really unfortunate to see. It's probably the first really big name COVID withdrawal we've seen at the games. Um, I don't think it's impossible that he like that we're gonna see another one or two of those. But also I'd like to give you credit, Dan, because you did predict earlier in the week that someone was gonna contract COVID and still win an Olympic medal. Vincent Joe, via the team event, because he competed in the free skate, won an Olympic silver medal.
1: I mean, it wasn't quite what I was predicting, but I'd like to think that Tali Gill probably also qualifies under what I was saying, because <laughs> yeah. I know she didn't win a medal, but to be in and out of that testing protocol and to still pull out a couple of wins at the end probably says that, you know, that guess was right too.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we've got a big day tomorrow. Scotty James is going to be finally in action, as is Bell Brockoff and Jared Hughes. They've got some of their snowboard cross going mm. on.
1: Yeah, I'm still planning on nicking the snow recap from whoever's got that one at the moment.
0: just for the sake of being like this person wow scotty doesn't win his medal tomorrow i think it's just the qualifiers for the half pipe so yeah
1: but did you see him out there today on tiktok he was having a blast out there so he looks like he's pretty relaxed and that normally helps
0: yeah i would love to be in scotty james it's just his media team because they are geniuses at social media that's for sure and it makes him all the more likable even though pretty likable guy regardless
1: yeah absolutely
0: but we are nearing the end of the episode so Dan would you like to share your social media with us tonight
1: I am uh, at decouple on Twitter and Instagram and of course you know most of my articles are out on the edge of the crowd
0: <laughs> I mean you wrote a lot of them today so <laughs> you still got a snow report to come
1: yeah don't remind me
0: and i'm dodzy161 on twitter and instagram this has been ascending olympus you can find us on twitter and instagram at ascending pod ascending olympus is a part of the edge of the crowd network you can find any articles we write be it about the winter olympics or sport or culture at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. we're currently doing a snow report recap and an on ice recap every single day so if you don't have time to watch everything really easy to just read that one Sorry, you can find Edge of the Crowd at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.